Hey, Changemakers, welcome back to the Engage for Good podcast. I'm your host, Allie Murphy. When you think of corporate volunteering, what comes to mind? Packing supply kits, painting a school, beach cleanup days? Seeing as you all work in this space, those ideas may come to mind, but so might have skilled volunteering initiatives. And one of today's guests is a leader in skilled volunteering. Google has long been at the forefront of technology, and the company's philanthropic arm, Google.org, has long been on the cutting edge of corporate social impact, philanthropy, and volunteering. From direct cash grants before they were popular, to robust skilled volunteering programs like no other, Google.org is an organization to watch and learn from. In today's episode, I'm joined by Jen Carter, Google.org's global head of technology and the founder of the Google.org Fellowship Program, where Googlers work alongside nonprofits and civic entities full-time for six months. I'm also joined by Sam Kaplan, Submittable's VP of Social Impact. We talk about the role of corporations in the CSR space, Google's spectrum of volunteer opportunities, and more broadly, about the future of employee volunteering and giving. In today's episode, we'll explore how Google approaches philanthropy as impact-first, long-term investments that are risk capital. Google's spectrum of volunteer opportunities from Google Serve to the Google Fellows Program, the rise of stakeholder capitalism and how it's impacting our space, how to increase employee volunteer and giving participation, the genesis of the Google Fellows Program and how it's evolved, Sam and Jen's advice for building your own transformational volunteer programs, how to center end users in your program design and determine your leading indicators for program success, and the importance of solving for fundamental problems that are blocking progress. And with that, let's get started. This episode is brought to you by Submittable. Hey, Jen and Sam, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Allie. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Hey, Allie. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Sam, does it feel a little funny to be on this side of the mic instead of hosting? Yeah, honestly, it does. And I feel super <laughs> awkward uh, knowing that I'm going to have to like, go back and listen to my own words here. So, so be gentle. I'll be gentle. You're going to do great. Okay, so let's dive in. Jen, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Google.org? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Jen. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I've been at Google for uh, around 15 years now, and I'm a product wow. manager by training. Uh, but my work is really focused on harnessing the power of technology and the expertise of Googlers to accelerate the impact of nonprofits and civic entities around the world. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, Google.org is Google's philanthropic arm. We bring the best of Google to innovative nonprofits and civic entities who are trying to help solve some of humanity's biggest challenges. And we do that by providing funding and in-kind support and the technical expertise of our employees to support underserved communities and provide opportunity for everyone. Okay, 15 years is a long time, especially in today's day and age where people hop around a lot more. So that's that's awesome. And on the flip side, tell us one fun thing about you. Yeah, uh, let's see. I uh, Since we were just chatting about it, I like uh, bad reality television. <laughs> fun fact. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Sam, what about you? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do at Submittable. Yeah. So I think I've got the best job in the company. I really get to um, spend my days like evangelizing our company and our software. Um, you know, I get to be a thought partner with a lot of amazing companies and organizations. I spend much of my time just thinking about the future of social impact and CSR and philanthropy um, and just learning as much as I can about what's happening in the, uh, the philanthropic sector. 
um, what's going on in CSR, where do we think that uh, CSR is going to be in, in another 18 or 24 months. And then I filter mm-hmm. all of that information back to all of my colleagues at Submittable uh, so that we can do our best to build products and, and offer services that will um, help ensure that our customers are poised to meet all of the uh, interesting things that they plan to do in the future. I'm excited to ask you to pull out your crystal ball and uh, predict the future in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So tell us one fun fact about you as well outside of work. So when I'm not working, I have a motorcycle and I live in the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas. And uh, on weekends, I can be found riding my motorcycle all through the Ozarks. I love that. I have not been over there, but my dad used to ride and I loved being on the back of his bike. I I don't think I have the skills to ride a motorcycle, but on the back of somebody else's was fun. Okay, (laughs) back to the task at hand. Jen, would you start us off by kind of setting the stage? What is your CSR and employee volunteering strategy? Yeah, I'd say uh, one unifying aspect of our strategy is really thinking about the role that philanthropy can and should play. So philanthropy is uh, in a unique position, I would say. If you think about other forms of funding, government spending, uh, the government generally needs to kind of show taxpayers that their money is going to proven solutions. Or if you think about private investors, uh, they tend to operate on shorter timelines and need to be worried about financial returns. And so I think the first thing that we really think about in terms of our strategy is, is the role that philanthropy can play, which is in putting impact first and in having some patience. And so we try to think of it uh, mm-hmm. as society's risk capital. Um, I love that but, term. Is that one you came up with? I've, I've heard it by others. It was definitely not okay. me personally. But uh, yeah, I think it's a, a great description of, of the role that philanthropy can play in society. I like it. And then talk to us a little bit. So that's kind of your overarching ethos, we'll call it. Talk to us a little bit about how that rolls out and then how it feeds into your employee volunteering strategy. For us, what that really means is we try to look for places where we can test out new ideas and direct risk capital toward big problems. I think that works really well for Google. It's generally mm-hmm. a place that has kind of a big appetite for for risky bets, or we call them moonshots, but just our big bets that we're, that we're placing. In terms of what that looks like on the Google.org side, I think maybe I can share just one example, which is um, yeah. about 10 years ago, uh, we were pitched by GiveDirectly. They pitched the Google.org team about direct cash transfers, giving money to those in need with, with no strings attached. Um, it's kind of hard to believe now because in the past <laughs> 10 years, uh, it, you know, that, that concept has, has grown in popularity. But at the time, it was, it was a relatively new and untested ideas and, and folks were pretty skeptical. Uh, about it. You know, they had misconceptions that people might waste the money, that recipients might waste the money on frivolous things. Um, but give directly, they had some preliminary data to support that their idea might work. And so we ended up investing in it. And we also funded an RCT, a, a randomized control trial, to compare it to other forms of aid, like in-kind support. Um, and at a high level, the data showed that cash grants work and giving directly can be both more efficient and effective than in-kind aid. And so you know, Give Directly has gone on to become one of the, the largest and fastest growing nonprofits in mm-hmm. the country. But even broader than them, it's been really exciting to see that direct cash transfers more generally have gained a lot of traction in part because we were able to work with them to help demonstrate that getting cash directly into the hands of those who are facing challenging circumstances works. So that's just one example. Um, but I think hopefully highlights, you know, that that unifying and underlying strategy for all of our CSR efforts, including our volunteering, which is about the role that philanthropy can and should play as society's Mm -hmm. risk capital. I love that. Okay, we're going to dive into so many different pieces of this. But beforehand, Sam, 
you're going to pull out your crystal ball for me. I'm hoping. What trends are you seeing in the corporate volunteering space? Yeah. Um, so, well, let me pull up just a little bit and, and sort of think yeah. about like CSR in general, because I think some of the trends like are, are certainly things that we're seeing in, in volunteering, but also in giving and matching and another um, you know, aspects of, of CSR, including community investments. And one would certainly just piggyback off what Jen was saying around like, um, a lot of organizations are really interested in making these direct cash grants to individuals. This is a big evolution because for years, grants almost exclusively went to nonprofit organizations. And certainly, you know, that continues to be the, the dominant recipient of, of grants. But we're seeing um, several of our uh, corporate clients beginning to experiment with these programs where they are making cash grants or uh, cash transfers directly to individuals. So um, I'm not sure if this is, you know, rises to the level of being like an emerging trend yet. But I think it's really interesting that, you know, that this is something that that Jen and her colleagues at Google are doing and that we at Submittable are seeing from several of our corporate clients as well. So a couple other trends that I would mention. One is certainly... Um, equity and the conversation around equity has just dominated everything related to CSR and social mm -hmm. impact and the philanthropic sector. And and finally, right, like we're super excited to see so many um, of our clients and and prospects and just organizations throughout the social sector really beginning to take equity very seriously. And so it's racial equity, social equity. Organizations are sort of universally. I think looking for ways to level the playing field with their nonprofit right. partners and to ensure that they're giving to um, organizations that may not look like the typical typical uh, recipients of their services uh, that they have done for for many years now. So um, a data point to support that, uh, looking at the 2022 uh, Giving in Numbers report, it states that um, social justice and racial equity grants increased 90% from 2020 to 2021. So which is huge. You know, it's huge. And it we're actually sense, seeing like, but... yeah, right. So like all these, all these corporations now that made these commitments to racial and social justice um, in 2019 and 2020 are actually beginning to execute on their strategies. And, and we're seeing some hard data that supports that this conversation of equity is moving beyond conversation into, you know, it's being actualized. A um, couple mm -hmm. other trends that, that that I think many of us are seeing, um, the rise of importance of employee resource groups, like suddenly yep. ERGs have taken on this very, very significant role uh, across CSR and volunteerism and employee giving. Um, and then I think aligned with all of this is just the democratization of all of our programs out there. And, and that sort of, you know, uh, emerging in terms of like stakeholder capitalism. You know, that's been a trend that Larry Fink from BlackRock wrote about in his annual letter this year. And I think we're beginning to see a lot of corporations out there look towards bringing in um, all of their stakeholders throughout the process, especially in volunteerism. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I was thinking of as you were talking about the democratization is trust-based philanthropy as well. So unrestricted funds as opposed to, here, you can use this and it's earmarked for X project. And there's a time and place for different things, but I see more and more moving towards this nonprofit is the expert here. They're going to best know how to use those funds and where they should really be going. Yeah, you're totally right. Uh, and, and in private philanthropy, um, this has been an emerging trend for, I would say, the last two years. Um, mm -hmm. And we're beginning to have a lot of our corporate clients get really interested in trust-based philanthropy and making these unrestricted grants as well. Um, Jen, I'm super curious. Is this something that Google is doing? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of what you shared uh, just now resonated, but on the, um, you know, first in terms of the sort of equity piece, I think we take a cue from the the disability rights movements, nothing about us without us, but Mm -hmm. we try to work to directly involve those who are impacted in everything that we do, uh, you know, from the product development process or coming up with the initial ideas to design sprints and user research studies and more, but definitely that underlying philosophy that, you know, anything we're trying to do that affects, you know, a particular community needs to be created with the participation of members of that community who are most proximate to the issue and know what solutions might might work and, and might be needed. And so for us, that often looks like working with nonprofit partners that have leadership teams that reflect the communities they serve. It looks mm-hmm. like engaging ERGs as, you know, employee resource groups, as, as Sam mentioned. Uh, so yeah, definitely, I think a lot of that uh, resonates with us for sure. I love that. So Jen, what are some of the ways that Googlers... Oh, that's hard to say. Googlers. There we go. What are some of the ways that Googlers can volunteer? And how has your program evolved over the years? Because you have a program that is very different from what some might consider the traditional model. Yeah, I think uh, it definitely has evolved over the years. It really, volunteering has been um, a core part of our ethos since the company was first founded. In their their founder's IPO letter back in 2004, Larry and Sergey committed uh, 1% of profit and explicitly mm-hmm. called out contributing employee time toward making the world a better place, um, which was pretty unusual at the time, but uh, you know, now certainly has been embraced by, by lots of different companies, which is incredible. But it's, it's meant that giving back and volunteering in particular has always been a core part of our, our DNA at Google and, and has been since the beginning. But as you mentioned, it's sort of shifted a little bit in terms of our approach. So at a high level, I'd say we try to um, meet employees where they're at in their volunteer mm-hmm. journey. There's kind of a variety of, of different offerings, whether, you know, our, our most scaled, which is um, what we call Google Serve, but it's our company-wide volunteering day. Uh, actually, I guess it started as a volunteering day. And now as the company has grown, it's, it's, <laughs> evolved, into, bigger than that now, right? it's evolved into the entire month of June. But yeah, okay. uh, essentially, um, it enables Googlers to uh, participate often in what we call hearts and hands volunteering, you know, painting a school or planting mm-hmm. a tree, but essentially an opportunity that maybe just takes a few hours on a single day. So that's kind of on, on one end of the spectrum of what we offer. And then on the other end is, you know, our, our most in-depth offering. So the Google.org Fellowship, which enables Googlers to do pro bono work for six months full time. And then we try to offer everything in between. So, you know, examples to help out in a 20% skills-based volunteering capacity for a few months, uh, just really trying to meet Googlers where they're at in order to maintain and even grow that culture of, of giving and volunteering at Google. Okay, so we're going to dive into the fellowship a little bit more in a second. But Sam, I want to come back to you first. You said stakeholder capitalism a little bit ago. Employees are stakeholders. And how do you think the role of stakeholder capitalism is impacting corporations' volunteer programs? And maybe a little bit more broadly, like last time, their broader CSR and giving as well. Yeah, it's a really great, great question, Allie. Like, so stakeholder capitalism is this concept that like, rather than everything being so management driven and top down driven that instead, like look across your entire supply chain at all of your stakeholders, everybody who's engaged with your programs and and bring them in and give them voice and give them agency and allow them to participate. And so this is something that I think um, a lot of organizations are really taking to heart right now. And, and I think rightfully so, a lot of corporations are identifying that their employees are really like sort of their key stakeholder, especially when Mm -hmm. it comes to volunteerism, where the goal is often employee engagement or, you know, um, finding ways that you can align your business values with your employees' values. And so, um, you know, certainly what we're seeing now is that a lot of employees are being given 
that opportunity to get involved in the process much earlier. So rather than sort of, you know, the, the traditional like volunteering where, hey, we're going to go paint <laughs> this wall today, yep. you know, every, and everybody's going to come along and have fun. Like now we're seeing employees are being given a lot more opportunity to get involved in in the process from the very onset. And they're being allowed to have a voice in terms of defining like what should our volunteerism strategy be? What types of causes resonate with our employees? And what uh, nonprofit organizations do we feel like we should create partnerships and, and spend time with? Um, and we're seeing like, you know, that that's really beginning to pay a lot of dividends and that it, I think, makes these volunteer programs much more authentic and genuine mm-hmm. and truly engaging. And it's something that um, has really been resonating with with lots of employees out there. So I suspect that we're going to continue to see more of this bringing in employees and other stakeholders, like members of the community as well, that have a voice in, in that end, end process. We often kind of think of it as, as user-centered design, but, you know, this framework of processes in which the needs and wants and limitations of end users are, you know, taken into account or, or focused on given attention at each stage of the design process. And as, as Sam mentioned, you think about your users for some of these employee programs, the users are the employees, the users are the nonprofits, the users are the end recipients, but really making sure you're taking all of those voices into account as you're kind of designing and co-designing these programs. Okay, so speaking of designing things and starting something from scratch that's never been done before, your Google Fellows program for which you won a Halo Award in 2021 with the Trevor Project and 2022 with Morehouse School of Medicine is incredible. Instead of a day of volunteering or a a week or a month, Google Fellows go in and work at a nonprofit or a civic entity full time typically for six months. What was the genesis of this program and what does it look like now? Yeah, um, the genesis actually goes Same all the way back to, <laughs> it, it really is. Uh, the genesis goes back to, to 2013, actually, when, if you remember when healthcare.gov first launched, the site crashed, it couldn't keep up with the QPS, mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, the queries per second, and then some folks from um, Google, as well as other tech companies, voluntarily took time off work to go and fix it. Um, at the federal government level, that led to the creation of the U.S. Digital Service, but for Google.org, that was also a large part of the impetus for us to really double down on our volunteering efforts and in particular on our pro bono and skills-based volunteering. You know, I think that example showed us um, the power of of volunteering. We'd certainly been doing it, but the government had money. They'd hired contractors to build this site, but it just wasn't the right folks because it's really difficult to find and retain software engineers, product managers, UXers, and everybody else that companies like Google rely on every day to to build great products. Um, That was, I would say, the first part of the realization there. Uh, and then I think the second was that the only reason this problem sort of sorted itself out was because it was a public launch and a public crash, which meant that folks in tech saw the challenges and knew that they had the skill set to help. But we knew from our work that we were doing every day that nonprofits and civic entities were facing these challenges all the time. And at the same time, we were hearing from from Googlers, from our employees, that they wanted to do more to give back. But it was challenging to find these opportunities to make use of their skills because it, you know, there were more um, hearts and hands opportunities available. And so that really helped us just think more strategically about how Google and Googlers could add the most value. And that was by being really strategic about how we combine our grant funding with our in-kind support and critically Mm -hmm. with with our people, with our volunteers, um, and realizing that, you know, we can have the most impact when we're doing what Google does best, which is working alongside, uh, you know, these nonprofits and governments to build products from the ground up. So uh, after that, we kind of experimented with 
a number of different models over time, you know, shorter durations, smaller teams, more consulting like projects, lots of different uh, iterations and variations of that to learn what worked, what didn't work, what made sense for us. But eventually we landed on on the model we use today that you just described, the, the Google.org fellowship, which um, we dog fooded in 2018 and officially launched publicly in 2019. But, you mm-hmm. know, providing those full teams who work cross-functionally for six months and really do try to build and launch products from the ground up that can help not just an individual nonprofit, but really the sector as a whole. Okay, there's so many pieces we could dive into here. But Sam, I'm going to ask you a question first, and then we're going to we're going to come back to the fellowship. So yeah. the fellowship is really an example of skills-based volunteering. And Sam, this is a model six months at an organization, or sometimes it's a couple of them that are part-time for six months. That's really different from what we're used to seeing. How do you think this is changing kind of how employees give and the broader CSR landscape? Or what do you see on the horizon? <laughs> it's, it's, I love that question. And, and let me set the stage with a couple of fairly depressing data points here. Ooh, so yay. again, I'm, I'm going I'm to quote a couple uh, <laughs> um, statistics from the uh, Giving and Numbers report this year. So the, the theme here is that employee participation and community programs continues to decline. Um, <laughs> volunteerism had 17% participation in 2021. Um, and that's down from around 29% in 2019. So we know volunteerism tends mm-hmm. to hover around 30% total participation um, at these uh, surveyed surveyed companies. So many in the Fortune 500. Um, one other data point, 94% of companies have a matching gifts program. And in 2021, only 19.7% of employees participated. And in a three-year average, only 15% of employees participate in their matching gifts program. So the very obvious question here is that volunteerism and giving and matching, like these are the cornerstones of our CSR programs. And in volunteering, we tend to see participation, you know, reach a peak of around 30%. And with giving and matching, like 15% over this three-year match set. And so it begs the question, like everybody offers these programs, but participation tends to be pretty low. And so why Mm -hmm. is that? And so one other um, data point leading towards skills-based volunteerism is that in the surveyed companies that offered skills-based volunteerism, the total aggregate number of of hours volunteered was almost 47,000 compared to just 13,000 where skills-based volunteering is not offered. So that's That's a big difference. That's like a 300% difference in mm-hmm. organizations that are offering skills-based volunteerism. So very, very long-winded way, Ali, of saying like <laughs> skills-based volunteerism is huge. And it absolutely should be the direction um, that uh, that programs begin to look in terms of how do I increase participation, right? If, mm-hmm. if we know that like 90 plus percent of companies have a volunteerism program, and, you know, at most, we're only getting 30% uh, participation, we should really be looking at like what Google is doing around the sort of skills-based component to their volunteerism program. Okay, so if listeners are like me and want the visual visual learners of what were all those numbers, I will link to the Giving a Numbers report in the show notes so you can listen to Sam while you look at it and compare those notes and see what you want to nice. bring back to your leadership team. Okay, so we're, we're talking about moving in this direction of skills-based volunteering. Jen, not every, I mean, let's be honest, not everybody has the resources that Google does, that Google.org does. So how would you advise listeners who work at smaller organizations to think about innovative volunteer programs or what they might be able to do first that might be a better fit for them? And I know you started smaller and then kind of figured things out along the way. So I'm thinking you have some advice. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly what you said, starting small. We absolutely, after the healthcare.gov launch, when we first wanted to get into this, we started really small with just a single project with a few volunteers who worked. Uh, our, our first project was with the city of San Francisco for just a few weeks full time and, and 20% outside of that. But it was a, a much more modest commitment than the six months mm-hmm. full time that the fellowship now has become. So we did just want to test out the idea and see if it could work and, and grow from there. So starting small, I think, uh, is is the first thing I would say. I think the other thing I would say is that we certainly want to encourage other organizations to start similar programs, but we also think uh, organizations should think about what they can uniquely do. And Mm -hmm. based on that, the structure of their programs might end up looking completely different. So, you know, I think we've really focused in on this idea that there's there's no shortage of problems that we can tackle. And so we want to focus on those where we think Google and Googlers can differentially add value. And so for us, that's often projects that involve the use of AI or maybe that focus on making the world's information accessible and useful, whether it's about the disparate racial and ethnic impacts of COVID-19 or it's about the number of people in jail simply because they can't afford bail or the greenhouse gas emissions from power plants worldwide. We often work in these spaces where a lack of data is one of the fundamental problems that's blocking progress. And so making um, that subset of the world's information more accessible and useful can unlock real change. To do that, to, to create these you know, minimum viable products, to launch these products, to kind of test out this idea, takes a cross-functional team six months full-time. And that's kind of why we evolved to that model. But if what makes sense for your company is something different, you know, a consulting company doing consulting engagements in 20% time, that still is is differential value that's pro bono and makes use of their core skill sets. And so um, I think this model can and and, um, should work for a lot of different companies. And we certainly encourage uh, companies to try this out. And I think there are other models that might make more sense for smaller companies to, to test out at first as well. I think that's such a good point that you can start small, yes, but also this isn't the only model that can exist. It's like, what is your organization's zone of genius or the people that you're going to have as fellows or whatever version of this that might be, and then building out a program and testing from there? Yep, exactly. I, I think of one other example just to show that it, it yeah. truly can be anything. You know, Google's offices are also known for being great spaces to to work in. And one of our early projects with the city of San Francisco, again, actually back again in these early days was we used our... Um, our real estate and, and workplace services folks to advise with the, the women, infant, children program in, in San Francisco to help make their space more welcoming so that when folks were coming oh. there in person with their children to fill out the application and answer some questions that they just had a more inviting space. And so, you know, obviously mm-hmm. that's a di- totally different thing that Google does that we think we could we could help out with, but it looks completely different. We didn't need a full team full time for six months. It looked, it was a very different engagement. And yet I think still had this kind of unique impact that only uh, only those employees could provide. I love having that other example. Okay, so Sam, you don't work at Google. So you see, not that Jen, you see lots of other things too, but I think it's a different perspective to sit outside of an organization. So Sam, what do you, like what stands out to you about Google's program? And what do you think listeners should take away from this episode to enhance their own initiatives or try something new? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to like largely echo what Jen said. Um, to me, I think what jumps out one is that like, it's it's the innovation that, that Google mm-hmm. um you know, has has the ability to think through and to apply. And and I think that all organizations, large and small, have the ability to kind of step outside of their comfort zone and outside of their box and and think a little bit more innovatively in terms of like how how our employees can best engage uh, the organizations that we work with. But I mean, also to me, I would say like one of the bigger lessons that I think we can take from Google is that real 
impact and real employee engagement seems to happen best when it's over a long-term sustained period of time. And while most of us, I think, probably don't have the uh, capacity to to take a group of employees and put them on a project for six months, like what we can do is begin to think about how do I develop deeper relationships and and stronger partnerships and more longevity with a handful um, of nonprofit organizations so that my employees can repeatedly volunteer with the same organizations and they can spend more quality time with the same organizations or working towards the same outcomes with these organizations, you know, as opposed to like everything always being so transactional. So this month, we're going to paint a wall with this organization. And next month, we're going to, you know, pick up trash in a park. Like those are really worthwhile activities. And I don't mean to discount them in any way. But I think what we can learn from Google is like, you know, pick a cause, pick an organization to partner with and really enable your employees to commit their time and their resources to going much deeper with that one organization over a longer period of time. And I think we can, um, in doing so, like achieve similar results to what Google is doing with their fellowships program. I think that's a really good way of describing this, too. Just because you may not have the ability to send people off for six months, there are other ways to build those long-term sustainable partnerships that are going to grow year over year. And in doing so, those partners can work together to figure out what's best because having it come from one side, as Jen and Sam, you both know, doesn't work very well. It's got to be two. You need two people to tango, two organizations. Right. Totally okay. Right so, gosh, I have so many questions. We may just need to do a follow-up episode at some point. But one of the things that I love asking about is kind of lessons learned. So, Jen, you built this thing from the ground up. You mentioned some iterations and some learning along the way. What were one of your one or two of your biggest challenges and how did you overcome them? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, definitely a lot of challenges faced along, <laughs> along the way. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I'll, maybe two different things come come to mind first. I think one is, you know, appreciate all of the kind words. And uh, there's nothing revolutionary about the idea of pro bono work. And if you're going to do it, it's also quite intuitive that a more in-depth engagement is going to lead to increased impact, as Sam mentioned. So, you know, moving away from transactional volunteering to more in-depth models over longer periods of time. Um, but I think one of the biggest challenges in doing that uh, or innovations was really about how to operationalize that idea, defining the program mm-hmm. structure, demonstrating the potential value, getting buy-in from senior, uh, you know, leadership, uh, finding strong projects, recruiting talented employees, and ultimately working alongside nonprofits and civic entities to to build products that truly do help move the needle on some of these challenges. And so I think overcoming each of those barriers was not a given, and, and some of them took some time to understand. So I think the um, one of the biggest challenges or, or innovations was in thinking about um, how do you know if what you're attempting is working? How do you validate if it's working? And how will you know if it's not? Um, and mm-hmm. if you can't answer some of those questions, I think that that goes back to why you might want to start with a smaller pilot to help gather some of that data, uh, because some of this takes a long time to to prove out if it works and if it's worthwhile. So, um, you know, one example, uh, it's a little bit removed from this space, but in the jobs and skills space, you know, if we're trying to evaluate how many people end up getting a job with increased income after participating in a training program, um, that's kind of the end metric that we care about, but we know the time horizon for that is going to be really long. And so it's really important to track these leading indicators, like how many people started the job training program or how many people completed right. it before you figure out if they actually got a job after and if that job you know, came with increased income. And so I think that's one thing that we really learned was 
trying to do that for each of the challenges that we faced. We knew we weren't going to be able to go in um, and immediately prove without any data that, you know, without having done it before, that this type of engagement could work, that it would, you know, improve, like lead to career development opportunities for employees or that it would uh, lead to social impact for nonprofits. We didn't know the impact that it was going to have and really, really had to test some of these things out. But we tried to do so with these smaller scale engagements and we focused on these these leading indicators. So um, I think that's one approach or tactic in terms of kind of any challenge that you're facing is, is making sure you know how will you know if it's successful and how will you know if it's not. Um, mm-hmm. And then one other thing I'll mention just because uh, you all have been great resources is just the idea of talking to others. Everyone, you know, there are lots of other folks in this space. We're all trying to do similar things. We all have a lot of lessons learned. And so whether it's, you know, engaged for good or submittable, there's, uh, you all have chatted with a lot of nonprofits and have uh, chatted with a lot of corporations and have a lot of learnings from that. And so we chat with, with folks like you all, we chat directly with other organizations and again, really focus on each of those end users, whether that's our employees or our executives who are trying to convince or the nonprofits and civic entities we're trying to help or the end you know, beneficiaries of those services. We try to really have those conversations with the end users to understand their perspective. What do they need? What's working about current you know, volunteering? What's not working? And, and go from there. I love all of these tips, and I feel like we could we could probably talk for hours, but unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time. So I'm going to transition a little bit and ask you, Sam, what is the the last piece of advice that you want to leave our listeners with? You know, it, I think my last piece of advice would be like really um, like talk to your employees about the volunteer program and the giving and matching program and the other amazing things that your corporations want to do from a CSR perspective. And ask employees, like, what do you want to do? What what for you would make a transformative experience? What would be valuable for you? Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I think that we're beginning to see that the world of CSR um, evolve towards this concept of like bringing employees in and, and speaking with them and asking them, like, what is most valuable for them? And that's what's really transforming um, these programs. And I think ultimately, like, that's what's going to lead to greater than 30% participation. Um, so the time is right. Like, now is the time to start bringing employees in and giving them some agency, sharing power with employees, asking their advice, you know, finding out what sorts of volunteer activities most resonate with them, what sorts of causes, what nonprofits in the communities they're most excited in working with. Um, and by the way, like we know that most of our CSR programs don't have enough employees anyway. So leveraging your uh, your staff to like come in and participate, you know, and be equal partners in the development of these programs and the way that we execute them um, makes perfect sense for everyone. I love it. And Jen, what about you? What last piece of advice you want to leave our listeners with? I would echo what Sam said. I think, uh, yeah, talking to your employees and understanding, I think, continue to just be amazed by the impact that you can have when you're able to find that perfect intersection of your employees' interests and skill sets. The the impact is truly transformational. And we have so many incredible stories of Googlers. I can I can share a couple related to the, the projects you mentioned with Trevor and Morehouse. But on the Trevor project, we had uh, you know, an out trans Googler who had considered suicide as a youth and also just so happens to be an AI and natural language processing expert. And she worked with the Trevor Project and used NLP to determine suicide risk level in youth uh, who reach out so that those at higher imminent risk could be placed in a priority queue and connected to a counselor sooner. Or with the Morehouse Project, we had a uh, a Black woman from Detroit who uh, saw firsthand as COVID uh, unfolded in her, her backyard and 
uh, Detroit quickly became an epicenter disproportionately targeting her community. And we were able to uh, put her on this project with Morehouse to track the disparate racial and ethnic impacts of COVID-19. And it's just, I, I continue to be amazed by the sort of um, impact that you can have when you just find this perfect intersection of your employees' skill sets and interests and lived experiences. And it just, it makes all the difference and uh, leads to just these incredible collaborations with nonprofits on the ground that are doing this work day in and day out. I love those stories. Okay. So Jen, if people want to learn more about you and the work that you do at google.org, where can they find you? Yeah. Uh, so .org, I think uh, our website, google.org, or uh, you can follow us at Twitter uh, at google.org. Uh, and then, as I said, I'm also always happy to chat more. We have uh, learned a lot from others. Um, and we have also learned a lot from the work that we've done that we're excited to continue to share. So uh, I want to continue to do so, sharing best practices, lessons learned, mistakes made, all of these things that we started to chat about today. So uh, you can also feel free to connect with me directly, Twitter uh, at Jennifer underscore Hope or uh, LinkedIn, Jennifer Hope Carter. Um, happy to chat more. Wonderful. I will include all of that in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. And Sam, what about you? Where can people learn more about you and Submittable? Yeah, so uh, submittable.com. And if you look for me, you'll, you'll find my uh, bi-weekly newsletter that I do. I do a podcast. Um, and uh, Submittable is active on all the various social platforms. And for me, I spend all of my time on LinkedIn. So uh, connect with me there, Sam Kaplan. And uh, I will inundate you with uh, all of my crazy musings about the future of CSR and philanthropy. <laughs> I'm excited to follow along with more of those. Sam, Jen, nice. thank you so much for joining me, for sharing your knowledge, your expertise, your uh, crystal ball learnings. And to all of our listeners, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much thank for having you. us. The Engage for Good podcast is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Brander and Rex Banner. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support Engage for Good is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.